Aikido schools don't compete. Uh, they don't have any way to pressure test themselves between each other. And it's very easy to convince yourself that you're the best. And apparently I learned like that doesn't really happen in BGJ or not that much. And I was like, oh, I wonder why. And my friend said, well, because if you would say so, somebody would come, kick your ass, prove that you're not the best. So nobody says that because, you know, you either have to be the best or you're very careful about the things make you know your limitations because you're constantly getting your ass kicked. You always know there's someone better and that forces you to be more humble. Hey guys, before we get to this week's episode, I wanted to let you know about an exciting development at Evolve Move Play. So we are bringing back our two-day traveling workshops. So that means one of our workshops might be coming out to a city near you, or potentially you could reach out to us and bring us to a city near you. We did this for years. I started, when I started Evolve Move Play, I taught traveling workshops all over the world from 2013 to 2019. But after the birth of my youngest daughter, I needed to stay home more with my wife and my three kids. And so we stopped those. But now we have a really amazing staff of teachers who've come up with me through the retreats of the last few years. And I myself have a little bit more freedom to travel. So we've got four upcoming dates here in the States and two dates in Europe coming up where you can come and train with us for just two days. That means it's going to be a lot easier entry point as far as cost and logistics for you to come and join us. So check out what's going on with our two-day workshops in the link down below. And we look forward to seeing you in a city near you soon. Hi, welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. It's a pleasure to have you, Rokas. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. So I've been following you for a while off and on. Um, I I think I saw your your Aikido meets MMA videos. Um you know, when those came out and I was pretty big. And then I had some friends who were involved in the Aikido community who were telling me, you know, I should be paying attention to what you were doing. So yeah. that was cool. And then <laughs> I, I, um, I saw you went and trained with Matt and Matt was a big influence on me, Matt Thornton from uh, straight blast mm. gym. So I was very interested in that and, and some of the other aspects of your journey. So your Rokas, your last name is pronounced. Leonavichus. Uh, I hate Leonavichus. <laughs> I bad. hate that. It's yeah. Oh, you actually did great. <laughs> but <laughs> I never expect people to get it, but you did great. <laughs> yeah. So you've been running a, a YouTube channel that started as a Aikido channel for yeah. how many years now? Oh, actually, uh these days I'm kind of counting ever since I made a switch from Aikido to kind of yeah. broader subjects, but probably been like seven years six years something like seven that years. when i first started doing okay. aikido stuff on youtube yeah and then um yeah and then it's switched to the martial arts journey now and it looks like you're you're dabbling in a number of other things and kind of the the journey around martial arts i was listening to your critical thinking uh mm. playlist this morning and spirituality playlist kind of getting a feel for for some of your thoughts there mm. so yeah, you've done that. I, I saw you. You recently did a, a a series of pretty cool videos with some other or some other uh, um, martial arts YouTubers as well. Mm. Yeah, YouTube is a nice community, and it connects various creators quite easily. Like it suggests uh, people to each other, which create similar content, and then you watch them for a while, and then you start to feel like you know them. Yeah. And then you get together on a call, like you know, it sometimes happens like a couple of years later, and you're like feels like we know each other forever although it's the first phone call so mm -hmm. so yeah that happens very cool so i guess we'll go back and start with you you know you're you're kind of you i guess the the parts of your story that are really interesting to me are the journey from uh aikido or into aikido and then from aikido into 
martial arts as a or into mixed martial arts or a, a more mm. let's say epistemologically sound version of martial arts as a as a Matt Thorman, but also the parallel journey through spirituality and towards a more um skeptical of of aspects of spirituality journey yeah yeah so my sense and i haven't seen you sort of address both of those at the same time is that part of what attracted you to aikido though was the spirituality aspects as well so can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in aikido and how the the martial arts aspect of it and the spirituality aspect of it interacted for you in that in sort of starting your journey yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually going to be interesting to talk for me that way, because usually I kind of separate these two subjects. Like if I talk with someone like uh, in the spiritual realm per se, then I can focus on, yeah, that was my spiritual journey. And there were the martial arts, but there was yoga and meditation. And then if I talk with someone who does martial arts, usually it's like, yeah, just forget about that stuff. Let's talk about martial arts. So it's going to be interesting to explore both. Uh, and uh, truthfully, that was always connected for me, especially at the beginning, martial arts and let's say spirituality or like personal development, uh, knowing of yourself. And I was always kind of a um, kind hearted, uh, utopian, uh, <laughs> dreamy person. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, uh, for that reason, initially combat sports like MMA, it just didn't attract me, but I was curious about like Eastern philosophy and meditation and the samurai, even when I was like a young teenager. And when I learned about Aikido, a friend of mine invited to try it out. I went there and I fell in love with it right from the get-go, even though I didn't know yet that Aikido has such a profound spiritual like background and, and philosophy. Uh, I just kind of felt the spirit of it and and the whole environment and atmosphere. I, I was like, there's something here that clicks with me. And then I got a book of uh, Mori Hiroshiba, the founder of Aikido. People refer to as Osensei, the great teacher. And uh, it was a tiny book, uh, The Art of Peace, it became mm -hmm. pretty famous. Uh, a few years ago, there was a famous TV show about zombies, which featured the book, and then everybody went wild about it. <laughs> so it's a pretty popular book now. The Walking, but it's, the Walking Dead, was that what it was on? Or what was yeah, it? yeah, The Walking Dead. There's an episode where a guy learns uh, Aikido to protect himself against zombies, but there's there's a segment, he's like a troubled person. And there's a segment where he's introduced to the art of peace, that book, and that transforms him. And the the kind of the search term Aikido, you can track that on, mm -hmm. you know, on the internet. That just went wild for like a few days. Everyone's like, what is this Aikido? What is this art of peace? So that's the book I read uh, in my teens. And I was like, it just spoke to me. I was like, every sentence. And I, obviously now when I look back, I realize I misinterpret misinterpreted a lot of the stuff or I, I didn't have the maturity to understand what it exactly talks about. And even now, I don't know if I do. You know, it's usually like pretty deep stuff. But then I felt like this is talking to me like exactly. And then I realized, wow, Aikido is actually going to serve me on both the martial arts level and the spiritual level. And at least that, that was the beginning, I'd say. So you were practicing martial arts, uh, practicing Aikido starting in your mid-teens? Yeah, uh, I was, I just turned 14 and that's when I discovered Aikido and pretty soon after I just became obsessed about it and with every year passing, I became more and more devoted. Uh, but yeah, I was 14 when I first found it. But even then, like as a 14 year old guy, I was kind of 
beyond my age like i guess uh, i'm still naive and you know young but i was interested in subjects which my peers weren't so and maybe that's uh, this is not a, necessarily a topic i need to dive deep into but my dad had a stroke when i was 14 and mm-hmm. probably that kind of made me realize wow life is short it's unpredictable and i was always kind of drawn to the spiritual stuff but that experience probably made me mature earlier than i would have yeah. otherwise so yeah And that kind of coincided with discovery of Aikido. Okay. I think I was listening to you a while ago, so I may have misremembered, but you you did dabble in other martial arts in that early phase as well, right? I remember, I think you were talking about Wing Chun specifically and, and going through uh, some interesting experiences with the Wing Chun community. So can, can you tell me a little bit about some of the other sure. things you dabbled in before you, 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 there was a point at which you really dived just specifically into Aikido for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Aikido was kind of my main focus pretty much always, but uh, there was a moment where I faced this question, which I think a lot of Aikido practitioners face. It's like, but what about striking? Like, like I'm not really sure. I don't know how to strike. And or, or many Aikido schools, they teach kind of in a very receptive way where it's like you almost wait for the attack to happen. And I was like, but what if like someone else is attacked, like my friend, and I have to defend them? And I'm like, and I have to wait for the, and, you know, it's not all that simple, but that that's the question on my mind. And so I was like, I want and supplementary martial art. And initially I was thinking about karate and I tried a little bit of karate, but not that much. But then uh, I think my, it happened so that my instructor discouraged me from that at the day. But then uh, I didn't tell him about Wing Chun anymore because I was like, okay, he told me not to go to karate. I'll just do Wing Chun instead. I won't say anything to him. And so I went to Wing Chun and uh, it, again, it, kind of really clicked with me because there was that sense of Eastern spirit, which I was looking for, that whole kind of uh, Kung Fu vibe that I saw on TV and in movies. Uh, but then I practiced, I was very devoted for it, like for about a year and a year and a half. Uh, so that's not super long, but it was still like a significant portion for me at that time. And uh, what happened eventually was uh, essentially there were two major schools in the country. and I initially joined the first one and they were talking bad stuff about the other one. But then a friend of mine made contact with the other school and he was, he told me like, Oh, actually the first one is the evil one. We should join the second one. And we joined the other one. And then soon enough, I hear conversations about uh, like, you know, that, that, that they're so evil that I heard there. And I started to realize like, it kind of doesn't make sense. They're, they're both claiming each other are evil. And that was such a huge topic. That was like, people were so invested in that narrative that I started to realize something is off. Like, I don't really like that, you know, that that's such a main, such a big subject between everyone. And uh, eventually I started to see other flaws behind it, but the politics just kind of uh, turned me off and I kind of left uh, Ming Chun entirely. So that was maybe what about your late teens that you're sort of done with Wing Chun and now really focused just on, uh, on Aikido? Yeah, I think I was probably around 16, 17 when I started doing uh, Ling Chun. And then uh, the the further the years went, the more I realized that, yeah, okay, Aikido is a martial art. And I even decided pretty early on, like maybe around 16 or 17, that I want to become a full-on uh, Aikido instructor and kind of made that internal commitment. It was, it was hard to do because nobody saw what, like understood what I'm doing. My parents were freaking out. <laughs> that was not a usual uh, career choice, especially in a, 
post-Soviet uh, Eastern Bloc country. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, I decided to commit to it. And I would dabble here and there. I would meet my friends who do other martial arts and I would ask them questions. But uh, I really went full on to Aikido because I realized, and I'm really glad I did, I realized that if I want to be a good instructor, because I was so young too, uh, that people will evaluate me based on my knowledge and skill. And the more I will know, like there was this intuitive realization that I just need to know as much as I can. I need to really impress everyone with like how much I know about Aikido, how much I can do. And so I was just like reading books like crazy and and training, doing my free time, going to all classes. Like I, I went nuts and it was like my life was only Aikido and that continued for quite a few years. So when did you start your dojo? Mm. As crazy as that sounds now, even to me, I was 22. 22. Still f- pretty fresh 22. And uh, just a quick funny story, because back then it seemed normal to me. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, it's like I, I'm 22 and I'm running my dojo. But then I would hear people telling me like, wow, that's so crazy. You're only 22 and you're still and you're doing this. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Well, whatever. It's, still, it's normal. But then now when I am, I'm 33 right now. Uh, and I look back at myself at that day and I look at people who are 22, of course, you know, each person is individual, but I look at 22 year olds and I'm like, really? I was like that old and I had the dojo. That's crazy. Now I understand what people thought when they looked at me, but yeah, the fact is I was 22 when I started dojo. Okay. And then you start your YouTube channel. Um, so you said seven years ago, so you would have been what, 26 when you started your YouTube channel? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, maybe even a little bit earlier, uh, maybe around 25, like I had my dojo probably for three to four years and I started dabbling uh, with YouTube and maybe for like a half a year, I kind of lightly put one video, another video, but then I started to see the potential behind it. Uh, like, uh, I was very ambitious for a long part, for a big part of my life, and not always realistic, but uh, but sometimes I would predict future, like I would have over expectations, like too big mm-hmm. expectations, and sometimes I would be able to pull it off, and that's what happened with YouTube. Uh, I started to notice, like, oh man, if I do, if I would do this, and I would do that, and I would do this, I could really like get a ton of views and really like reach a lot of people. And I was telling that to my uh, girlfriend at the time. And she was looking at me like crazy and saying like, what are you talking about? And then like six months later, my channel was, I think there was a point where it was the third like biggest YouTube channel about Aikido in the world. Like I knew two more, which had more subscribers than mine. And that's pretty crazy when I think about it. Obviously it's very niche, but yeah, initially it started slow. And then I kind of really started to focus on it. So when does your crisis of faith with Aikido as a, as a functional martial art really start? Uh, A lot of people assume that it was specifically doing the Aikido versus MMA video. Mm -hmm. And uh, in case somebody doesn't know, I'll just quickly uh, explain that that was a video where I decided to prove that Aikido doesn't work in the ring by putting myself as an instructor uh, in a sparring match against an MMA fighter. Uh, There's a whole story to that. but, But essentially, and I put out that video where I get my ass kicked and uh, the kind of the people easily think like, oh, he got his ass kicked and then he started to question Aikido. Uh, the reality is that I kind of had some questions already before that. Like I saw that it wasn't a great martial art for self-defense. Like I had my doubts. 
but I still did believe a narrative that, which my instructor told me, my main instructor, that if you are attacked and it was a life or death matter, then like Aikido would click. Like we would do certain exercises where it's like, like this is what you do if you're in a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back, I don't think that was very effective methodology, but but that's that was my narrative. I was like, okay, it's not great for fighting. It's even not perfect for self-defense, but if, if it's life or death, I would be able to use it. Uh, but so I had that doubt and understanding of limitations, which was growing. Then I did the Aikido versus MA video knowing that I will fail. And I wanted to record that failure. That, that was the whole point of that video. I wasn't expecting to do well. I did even worse than I expected, but still, I expected that outcome. But then uh, afterwards, I met a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, like a blue belt close to purple belt, uh, an American person, by the way, from, from the States. And I didn't know anything about Brazilian jiu-jitsu back then. Maybe it wasn't as big to uh, that time. But then he started telling me about combat sports and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, and, and we had really like open conversations. He would never judge what I'm saying and never question in a rough way. But, but he was very curious and he would ask me questions. And I, I, sometimes he would catch me in places where I was like, you know what? I'm not really sure. Or, or a lot of things he told me about combat sports and mostly about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but other combat sports like MMA too. I realized there's so many differences from what I was led to believe in the Aikido community because I was told like, oh, they're all like meatheads and and all they care about is blood and stuff like that. And suddenly I'm talking to this guy and I'm realizing not only he is a super cool guy, but also he was telling me like pretty much everyone, like not everyone, but a lot of people he knows in the BJJ community and and the May community, they're great people. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. So they're fighting, they're beating each other and they're that's not making them bad people because again that's the narrative which the aikido community kind of which i was, <laughs> I was part of made me think like you know it's like fighting makes you bad aikido makes you peaceful and uh, i would meet a lot of arrogant people in aikido yeah. and the more i dabbled in uh, combat sports uh, i met a lot of very humble people not that i don't didn't meet humble people in aikido but proportionally aikido had usually more arrogance uh, than combat sports. And that also was a big uh, questioning point for me. Like, okay, wow. So how come Aikido has all of that that arrogance and egocentrism, egocentrism, and then combat sports seems to have less. And I was talking to my BGG friend about it and he gave some great thoughts. And one of them was that Aikido schools don't compete. Uh, they don't have any way to pressure test themselves between each other. And it's very easy to convince yourself that you're the best and that was like a popular subject between aikido schools our school is the best school it's like oh they suck it's like every school would say that every single school i went to like they would crap on other schools talk crap about other schools and they were the best and apparently i learned like that doesn't really happen in bgj or not that much and i was like i wonder why and my friend said well because if you would say so somebody would come kick your ass prove that you're not the best so nobody says that because you know you either have to be the best or you're very careful about the claims you make you know your limitations because you're constantly getting your ass kicked you always know there's someone better and that forces you to be more humble so there there was this whole kind of long journey but but being exposed to those moments the differences between what aikido claims to be that it's like a spiritual martial art that it's it makes peaceful people and and then seeing the arrogance and the egocentrism I was starting to doubt like, well, it doesn't deliver on what it promises. 
meanwhile, combat sports, but you don't even talk about these things as much. They actually have, they're much closer to that outcome. And that made me question the methodology and that made me question the functionality of it and eventually brought me to become like a huge skeptic of martial arts. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. In my last conversation with Matt, we were talking about the, uh, the character formation that comes through martial arts. And we are saying, you know, there's far more potential for character development in BJJ than there is in Aikido um, right. because you actually struggle and you actually get humbled and you actually have to um, deal with your limitations. I think there's a weird way in which traditional martial arts end up, um, they create a sense of insecurity, right? Because you, you're actually operating within a fantasy. Right. Yeah. And the more invested you are in the fantasy, the more threatening the, the, the rea reality is, right? Right. You know, the yeah. more that you need to sort of uh, inflate your ego, <laughs> mm -hmm. fill the gap between the effort that you have put into something mm -hmm. um, and the impact that you've gotten out of it. 100%, 100%. And uh, I kind of have this idea, which I can't prove, but I'm pretty certain that every Aikido person uh, especially at their later stage, or actually, to be honest, even the early stages, that they have a doubt about mm -hmm. their martial art. Like I spoke with many black belts and uh, and other practitioners, and when you would talk long enough with them, they would express some sort of doubt and admit like, yeah, well, maybe that doesn't work. I'm not sure about that. But they would suppress that. Like you could see that. They, there would be a lot of narrative surrounding around that. Like, yeah, but uh, there's this and this, and this instructor said that, and the sensei said that, and my sensei said so. Like, And we would use the same quotes. Like, There would be kind of proven structures on how to, if somebody says some criticism about Aikido, that's what you say. It's like, oh, it's not meant for the cage. You know, that's the, probably the most popular one. Oh, yeah. It's it's, it's not about, well, yeah, in the street, it would work. Like like these kind of cookie cutter, pre-prepared uh, answers. But but those were, I think you're right, because when you have that doubt and somewhere deep down you realize, well, probably this is not really great. You have to build so much artificial stuff on top of it that I think that's part of it where you become kind of delusional. But at the same time, also um, Aikido has that and, and various traditional martial arts too, uh, or let's say, other martial arts yeah. essentially martial arts which don't pressure test mostly it's there's also the hierarchy which is very much focused on it's like senpai kohai you know senior student the sensei mm -hmm. and there's this whole mysticism about the sensei and i think that puts you in a position where it's difficult not to be arrogant like you have to kind of put additional effort and essentially that's what i did because i always uh, thought that humility is such an important aspect to have so, but I would have to kind of be very self-conscious about myself, not to become arrogant. And uh, yeah, because because the structure that Aikido created, I felt it made it very easy, especially at higher ranks, to become self-indulged and egocentric. And because everybody worships you, nobody questions you, questioning is not encouraged in that environment. And, and you're throwing everyone around and then everyone's falling for you. And you're like, yeah, I'm probably pretty kick-ass. And, and there's actually... A funny, uh, interesting story that I, I did not read it myself, but a friend of mine told about this part of a book from a famous Aikido master who was uh, initially skeptical about the founder of Aikido throwing people without touching. That's apparently mm -hmm. what used to happen. 
and uh, he didn't understand what's what's happening, how it's happening. He wasn't sure. But then he was telling in the book that as he get got older, like quite a bit older, probably we're talking about seventies, eighties, maybe even more. That uh, he he said, I'm starting to feel like I'm probably gaining some supernatural powers because my students are just falling by themselves. I barely touch them and they fall. And you know, his he kind of went into this whole delusion himself that that's him throwing without touching versus stopping and considering like, well, maybe my students are just, especially in Japanese culture, maybe my students are just super polite and I'm an old dude and they're falling for me because, you know, they don't want to insult me. So, but, so he kind of believed even himself in the whole hype of throwing people without touching because nobody questions, nobody pressure tests. Yeah. I call it the, the broken uke relationship, right? You know. Right. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with the terminology, the UK is the person who's receiving the technique, right? So if you're mm -hmm. if uh, if you're working on a throw and we're doing Aikido, I'm going to pretend my arm is a sword and strike at your head in the most unrealistic uh, way possible from the most unrealistic range possible, um, yeah. and then you and then you'll throw me, right? right. Um, yeah. And when you do that, uh, there's zero resistance. Right? As yeah. as you UK, I will never try to make it more difficult for you basically yeah yeah 100 and and funny too because you mentioned there's no resistance and actually there is resistance at certain um circumstances it's when the other person does the technique not in the way you're expecting him to like mm -hmm. he's not he's doing it wrong you know because in aikido there's like the right way and there's the wrong way and the right way is the way sensei said and if somebody is doing it not the way they're supposed to you start resisting and you're like ah look it doesn't work for you. You know, it's like you're doing it wrong. So that's, it's funny because that happens too. Like everybody starts policing each other. Uh, but, and I used to hate that very much, but, uh, but yeah. So, but if the person does it right, you're very much conditioned to know how to fall when, at what moments you're not actually letting somebody throw you. It's more like you're okay. Ah, this is where I fall. And this is where you see the technique. And sometimes you wouldn't even finish the technique and the person would finish it for you. Like the UK, like that, that would happen because the conditioning is so uh, deep, but yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're embedded in this for over a decade and then you start to have your doubts. You go over to Brazilian, you go over to MMA, I guess. Mm. So you must've been aware of MMA for quite some time before that initial thing. Like I, so just a little bit of my own background. So sure. I started with Tang Sudo when I was six years old. Mm. So I did Tang Sudo for a year to maybe two years. Um, and then my school shut down. And my dad was a big hippie spiritual guy, right? He would drive me an hour and a half to Seattle with some frequency. I can't really remember as the middle of my childhood to train with a Aikido school. So I don't know how much Aikido I got, but between eight to 10 years old, I was doing some Aikido. And then I went from Aikido into, uh, into some sort of like Northern uh, Kung Fu style. Mm. Um, but then my older brother showed me oh, the original um, UFC in 96, oh, right? Mm. So 96, we found like an army ranger and we're just training in his shed. So I'm curious what your awareness of combat sports was as you're going through this, right? Because, you know, you're seven years younger than me. Right. Mm -hmm. When you're 14 years old, the UFC has been around for a while, but maybe in, in Lithuania, it's a lot less well known. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I actually even wonder like how big UFC was when I started to question Aikido. I guess it was around, but I was just so conditioned by the 
Aikido community to not even care about it because it was kind yeah. of like evil that I didn't. So maybe that was part of it. I think like UFC is so big right now that like people who have almost no interest in fighting whatsoever in, in general, they they follow UFC. Like that's not uncommon. Yeah. Like a friend of mine who's like a saxophone player, he has nothing to do with fighting in his life, but he's he watches every single UFC event and the and the pre-conferences and post-conferences. And I think that's that's fairly common. So now it's huge. But I don't think it was as huge back then. Uh when I at my late last stages of uh doing Aikido and starting to to move towards quitting it, I Conor McGregor was around. So that was definitely when I think UFC blew up to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, I kind of knew, okay, there's this Conor McGregor, but I wasn't really following. And part of me almost wishes like I was one of those guys because I hear those stories, like you mentioned yourself, getting to see the first UFC and then that kind of shifts something in, in people. I, I know some stories of various people that they would start trying this stuff out and they would become interested in combat sports. Uh, part of me almost wishes I had that stage. Uh, on the other hand, eventually the conclusion I came to myself is, well, I guess I'm lucky I didn't because my story became, an experience became so unique because I was so pure. I had zero experience. Like when I went to that Aikido versus MMA uh, experience of, going into the ring with a MMA fighter I had zero understanding I had a little bit of BGJ training because my friend taught me a tiny bit but otherwise I had no clue what's happening I was so pure and then suddenly like I'm shifting this whole uh, world around it would have been different if I was like training ready for a few years yeah. so that created a unique perspective in me the fact that I was such a purist uh, but yeah uh, until my friend my BGJ friend started telling me about combat sports I pretty much knew nothing about them, honestly. Yeah. So you're pretty, you know, when you first stepped in, you had doubts about the effect of a Saikido, but you really didn't know much about MMA at all when you stepped into the ring for the first time. No, no. Actually, <laughs> that that made the whole experience super scary as well mm-hmm. uh, because I still didn't know any MMA fighter. Personally, I only knew this BGJ friend. Uh, but I came to the conclusion, I need to make this video happen. I need to make the Akira versus MMA. I need to show everyone that it's not as great as, as people would expect. And then my first challenge was, how do I find an enemy person who's going to do that? And hopefully a person who's not going to kill me. <laughs> not gonna, because that I was expecting like MMA people, if they're going to get my their hands on me, they're going to like beat my ass up. But then... Uh, my girlfriend at the time was giving classes, like yoga classes in the MMA gym, uh, in local, local MMA gym. And I, I asked her, like, is there some nice guy, like, who doesn't seem as bad and as aggressive? And she's like, ah, yeah, there's there's that guy. Because there's the owner of that school, when I would see him, he's, he mm-hmm. kind of had the typical, well, you could say that, like, MMA look like, like buff and, like, long beard and tattoos. And I was a Right, you know, I saw him and I was like, "Damn, that's a killer!" And he's very introverted. I later got to know him. He's a like he's a teddy bear. He's a super cool person, yeah. but he looks like, "Oh my god, that's killer!" And I thought everyone's like that. So I get to know that there's this MMA guy who's apparently pretty nice, and I'm like, "Well, hopefully he's not going to destroy me too bad." But I was set that I'm going to come out with a black eye, maybe lose a tooth or something. I was like, I was I accepted. I was like, "Okay, that's probably going to happen. Accept it." And then it turned out he's so he was so cool and he barely touched me. He just showed that I'm, you know, miserable at that. 
but that was so scary because I, I went in expecting having this illusion about what MMA is and it was not anything like that. Uh, interesting. So yeah, that's so funny. Um, yeah. So you, you, you come out of that experience, you put that video online. What is the response of the Aikido community when you put that video online? I, it was funny too, because initially I expected everyone to hate me. Yeah. I thought that Aikido people obviously will hate me because I'm criticizing our sacred art. Mm-hmm. And then, and that was something you don't do in Aikido. And then I thought MMA or combat sports practitioners will laugh at me because I did not see the true reaction coming like whatsoever. I expected everyone to to hate me and make fun of me. And I thought, okay, MMA people, combat sports people, they're going to laugh at me and say, ah, oh, look how he failed. And I was like, okay, well, it sucks. But you know, I, I, I really felt the urge and the importance to do this because I, I had the feeling like if I'm not going to do it, no one else is going to do it. And probably, I don't know if ever another person is going to do that again because, yeah, the stakes were so high in, in that certain condition. So I expected everyone to hate me. But then uh, the majority of Aikido people were definitely displeased. Uh, my Aikido instructor was, because I didn't consult with him. Usually I would consult with him about a lot of things. That was part of kind of the relationship. But maybe I was, I wasn't very conscious of not consulting him, but probably subconsciously I also felt like okay maybe i shouldn't just tell him because he may say no so i'll just do it and uh, he was conflicted to what to say because he we're not in any sort of relationship anymore whatsoever so i'm kind of speaking in past tense but he he was kind of a hip person i kind of like you know playing the, the cool he was very much the sensei but also the cool sensei like yeah. i think that was an important part of his uh, kind of way of, of handling things and so for him, the way I interpret it, he couldn't say a dead no, because what I did was courageous and it was innovative and et cetera. But I could, when I was talking to him, I could feel like he tried to support me, but I could feel inside he was also like not really happy about this and he was fretting himself about it. So he was in a weird space. And initially he tried to be like supportive and say, yeah, yeah, great job. I maybe would have done it this way, but yeah, it's good you've done it. Soon enough, a couple of weeks later, he, he started telling like, no, this this is not going to happen. He forbid, essentially forbid me from making any more videos like that. And eventually that went to the whole fallout. But that was my Aikido sensei. The people online, most Aikido people were upset and they started making excuses. The majority of them, I think. They were like, oh no, it's like, it's not Aikido that failed. It's you that failed. You're, mm-hmm. the, you're a bad instructor and your Aikido sucks. Uh, there were some Aikido people, very few, but some percentage were saying like, wow, this is great. Like open minds or something like that. But then the MMA community or combat sports community, I was like blown away because they were extremely supportive. Like I thought I'm going to get so much hate and I'm getting messages from some people I know. It's like, oh, you know, this champion, some super coach famous in the world, he tweeted and shared your video saying you did amazing. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, they're supposed to hate me. And that's, I think, what also made me transform and seek out, take the next step in my martial arts journey. Because first of all, it shocked me so much. But also, I realized I was lied to. I was giving the wrong information. And I wanted to know the world which actually embraced this act versus the world I was part of, which kind of neglected the act. Also, too, I had seminars lined up. I, I was already starting to get known because of my Aikido YouTube channel. 
and I had already some international seminars being lined up, like one in France, one in Germany, and the, the dates were scheduled, everything. And then soon enough, I get emails like, oh, well, our plans change. We're not inviting you anymore. So yeah, I did not become popular in the Aikido community. Only a small percentage were open to that conversation. Uh, but the combat sports community embraced it. And also, but the last thing is I was upset that a lot of the Aikido community were, I thought this is going to make a certain point. Like, okay, look, Aikido fails in the ring. But because there were so many excuses, I think it frustrated me. And I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to debunk this excuse. I'm like, I'm going to show you that this is not true. And then there's another excuse. And then there's another excuse. And I think that's when, like, for about three years or so, that's pretty much all I was doing. was just like, well, sharing my journey, but also just trying to, like, debunk every certain excuse that I heard. So, yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's essentially what happened. That's not surprising to me. You know, you have an open tent, right? Because like the, the thing about mixed martial arts is that if if it works, it's welcome. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People are going out and harvesting stuff. And we've seen it like, I think that the MMA community in some ways has become more open-minded because we've repeatedly said things don't work and then seen them work, right? Yeah, true. You know, um, I was listening to one of the interviews and you guys were talking about front kicks, right? Like the snap front kick was not, didn't work. And then Leota Machida and Anderson Silva made it work. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a technique that we've seen come in. And there's been a variety of things like that. Judo doesn't work, right? Carl Parisian comes right. in and just smashes people with judo. Um, and so, you know, for the most part, it's just selected for people who are like, okay, I want, I, you know, that's cool. I want that. Um, right. So that's, that's a, but I think that, when you're when you're stuck in those patterns you're stuck in that when you have to defend something that's not really defensible mm, yeah it it creates a kind of in-group out-group mm. mentality um it feeds into that in-group out-group mentality which um makes it a lot harder to take uh yeah. to take someone potentially threatening your sacred cows right yeah I think about I'm amazed. If you threaten the Satan crowds, it's like, okay, cool. Step into the ring. Yeah, let's let's do this, right? (laughs) Yeah. When I have that option, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, it's interesting, too, because uh, there's one follower, like one person who's watching my videos, and uh, he he was commenting quite a few times, and I didn't realize it, but a while later he sent me an email saying that actually he was kind of being sarcastic and and kind of playing a fool whatever like his intentions weren't good and that he confessed in the email that he hated me and he thought i'm stupid etc but then uh, he started to realize well actually maybe he's right and very few people admit that i met some people who i'm pretty certain some of the videos i made did shake up uh, quite a few people and made them shift their their journeys and and i know some of those stories but very few people are able to admit it and say to me like well actually you know what i hated you and i realized you're right but that person was probably the first one that did and in the email he uh told that his experience of going through his transformation was very similar to the five stages of grief yeah yeah and and when when he said that i realized wow that's so true it's like it's like point to point, like first you get, and the first part is kind of becoming angry and denying. Uh, I think that's the first uh, mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. Life. Anger, yeah. denial. Right. And, and, and so I think that's where a lot of the, 
I actually dislike using the term traditional martial arts because it's not entirely correct, but, but the, sorry. They're not traditional. This is a subject we've talked about on the podcast before, but like a lot of what we consider traditional martial arts are really um, kind of a specific evolution of the impact of Western physical culture right, and militarization on Eastern cultures and the modernization of mm-hmm. of that culture. It's like, well, we know Aikido, you know, it comes from Aikido Jiu-Jitsu, right. you know, relatively recently, right? Yeah. How... Yeah. Yeah, so that's a whole interesting subject. Maybe we can right, sure, sure. Continue your point. Yeah, yeah. So I guess maybe another way would be to say like martial arts, which are not pressure tested. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then whenever there's there's no pressure testing in in martial arts, you are that's the first stage when somebody attacks you. I mean, not physically, but uh, tells like, oh, your martial art doesn't work. There's no real answer. So you're kind of on the losing edge already and the uh, either you first throw these very generic uh pre-made uh, arguments or pretty soon enough you become upset you become angry and also, i also think that's connected with uh, cognitive dissonance something i learned about through my journey as well that uh, right, what was that word cognitive dissonance oh yeah, yeah yeah right so so when when you know things are not aligning i think from the way i understand it it's like one of the natural responses is you get frustrated. And I think that's where those communities or those people are very much stuck at and that they stay in that stage. And sometimes there is a, like people do get, is, should we stop for a moment? Is that okay? Sorry, no, my wife just came down to go to the bathroom. She forgot, I guess. Go yeah, sure. Interview. Um, <laughs> no worries. Can uh, I continue? We're good. Okay. Good. Yeah. So cognitive distance, people get frustrated. Right. Right. And I think a lot of those people, they stay at that stage. They're that first stage of grief. They're angry. They're denying. And some of them move to the second stage, which is bargaining. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know, well, Aikido works, but only when you're really attacked. And uh, well, maybe it's not the best martial art, but it's still great. You know, the, like now you're kind of in that position, but not everyone even moves to that. And uh, so, yeah, I think. That, that was kind of a big, interesting realization for me. And as you said before, in mixed martial arts, combat sports, there's nothing really to defend. I mean, we could find maybe some sensitive spots or something where, where that cognitive distance would come up. But especially if we're talking about that general level of, is this martial art effective? Does this work? Uh, there's there's no defensiveness because the answers are there. There's, there's, there's nothing really to lose. You're like, as you said, somebody says, ah, oh, this technique doesn't work. Well, Let's go and try it out. Let's see. Or, or it's so clear that you know there's different conditions, as you said before. People are much more humble about their opinion, like the, the smart ones, because many people were proven wrong. Like about even like spinning kicks, they they, they have a place and time. They're not high percentage, maybe, but but when you're exposed to it constantly, you're like, well, I mean, I know my stuff works because I pressure test it all the time. But if you say you suck and it doesn't work. I'm like, I'm not threatened because I don't need to protect it. It's it's so clear to me. But when I need to protect it, that's where the defensiveness comes in, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I'm curious, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm just going to guess and imagine mm-hmm. that you probably thought more people in Aikido would be open to the message originally. You are correct. Yes, actually, it's, it's funny. When you asked me, I was like, yes, you are right. But it just turned out to be so much not the case that I probably even forgot that I initially expected it. 
but you're right. Uh, I think I, I had that idea initially, like, oh, people are going to be like, whoa, this is great. Wow, you, you're like really onto something. Let's explore it together. Let's, let's, let, let me make that test and let's, let's compare our notes. I was expecting much more of that. And a couple of people I met who we did that with, but usually they were people who did Aikido and then switched to combat sports already. And they went through that journey and they were interested to talk to me. Other than that, it's like, uh, no, very, very, very few. So my follow-up to that is like now what, five years later, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably around five years. Um, Have you started to see some of those people start to trickle in, right? Are you meeting more people who like, you know, I saw that video, I was pissed off, but now I'm training jujitsu. Right. Yeah. You know, I think actually quite a few people did. Uh, I did come across those people eventually. And a lot of my contact with the people who watch my uh, videos is through comments. And sometimes it's a bit sad and unfortunate because I love people. I love relationships and interacting. And it's sometimes almost sad to realize there's so many people that were probably touched or influenced in some way that I'd love to know that. But it's like, you know, sometimes I don't get to know that whatsoever. Or sometimes I get to see it for a comment and comment is better than nothing. Uh, but still, there's you don't see that person, you don't feel it as much. But the comments do come up, and uh, people do write to me. Like, and it, it almost feels like the the people who do and the comments they write, it almost feels like they expect me to know that they did. It's not like, oh, Rokus, I'm going to tell you you did this thing. Now I watched your video, and but it changed me, and so I want you to know that because you probably don't know. It's usually not that. It's usually like, yeah, as you know, I already I used to do like this martial art, and then. I saw your videos, I tested my martial art, I failed, and then I switched. So so I do get those uh, fairly frequently. I think quite a few people went through that journey. Uh, I did meet a number of those people as well. And uh, even in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu sometimes, like yeah. I would uh, go to some BJJ gym or academy, and uh, some people would come up and like, oh, Rokus, I'm here because I saw your video. And then I realized my martial arts sucks. So I met a few of those. Uh, but also a lot of people who approach me, they are ones who just went through that journey uh, mm-hmm. in one form or another. They're not even influenced by my videos. I think the videos served a great uh, purpose in a way where, and that's what I became conscious of over the years, that it's a very difficult experience to kind of question your martial art because it's usually such a big part of our identity and we're so attached to it and it's kind of a very structured thing and then suddenly when you question it it feels like you're losing part of yourself like a big a big part of yourself it's almost like people losing their religion it's or, very much like this right right which is huge you know that's that's uh, i think religion is is the next step but then i think it's as funny as it is i mean as crazy as it is it's not that far off probably for for a lot of people that experience and so when they're quitting it's it's a difficult part because and it's very difficult because your community is not understanding you you're the outcast you're the only person who's like your instructors your friends and i went through that myself everyone's telling you like you're crazy you're wrong they they you know they cast you out essentially and you lose relationships and maybe even question yourself like maybe i'm crazy maybe i am wrong because you can't connect with someone and especially Back in the day, when when I released the Akira versus any video, some of some similar videos, like that narrative was, people started to explore that on YouTube a little bit, but that was pretty much new in the YouTube space, which is you know such a big 
point for 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 reaching so many people. Like there was a bullshito.com website, which I think had those conversations already, but but it was a forum and kind of more niche. Uh, but what if you were in a, if someone was in a situation where they started questioning the martial art, they really didn't have someone to connect to. They didn't have a place to go to and say, oh yeah, I like, thank you. You understand me. And I think that's why I'm happy that the, and that's one of the purposes I tried to serve. I was going through that journey myself and kind of very, become, being very articulate about what I'm experiencing, what I'm discovering, what I realized. And I think some people did reflect and said that they already left their martial art before and they went through their journey but but looking through those videos they're like oh yeah exactly that's that's actually what i was thinking but didn't even realize or or it's like oh i'm not the only person like that guy went through the same so i met quite a few of those people who just related and we were able to connect in that point it's very hard to convert the true believers right (laughs) but there's there is like a group of people who are already questioning and when you uh, you know, put the question in a really clear way, then it can mm. be really uh, catalyzing for those those people. Right. So, yeah, I, can I just quickly? I think also too, it's something I had to force myself to realize is because initially there's that kind of naive belief that if I'm going to prove to some level that, let's say, somebody says my martial art is the best. And I make them question that there's that idea. Okay. And they're going to convert and we're going to have a great conversation. They're going to realize it. Perfect. But I realized that in most cases it takes a while. Yeah. And, and, and like, that's probably, that's the first step. And that's what I started to appreciate. I don't need to convert anyone. And I guess that's not the point altogether, but it doesn't have transformation doesn't have to happen quickly. And probably it can't, especially for a mm-hmm. lot of people and the true believers, but, but the seed that is planted it's it can start to grow and the questions can start to spread and and I think yeah sometimes it's important to acknowledge that it takes time and it's for some people years but but the beginning the initial doubt is what matters I think yeah I think in some ways it's like um, just like doing your bit to clean the epistemological landscape right yeah you're like it's not gonna it won't necessarily have an immediate impact on the people who I'm super closely connected to through this, but it's going to contribute to um, mm. just having <laughs> clarity um, right. out there. Um, and and yeah. it, it stands there for people when they start to question, they can look it up like, oh, you know, if you're an Aikido now and you're like, what happens when Aikido tries itself in MMA? Mm. Now it's there for somebody. Right. True. True. So I want to go back and, and sort of, you you've so you're you're questioning aikido you 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 go into mma you you get your your illusions crushed even though you weren't as attached to those illusions as you might have been yeah um and then you go deep into jujitsu right mm-hmm. um but at the same time what's happening with the spiritual side of this right because you're you're doing yoga you're right. listening to self-help uh books all this is kind of connected to we were, we were just talking about the idea that like losing your martial art is kind of like losing your religion but it's especially so with aikido because aikido is specifically a spiritual martial art it really is yeah. in many ways a kind of uh, yeah. religion in a way yeah. and that's another reason why something like mma might not have the same um the same defense mechanisms because it's not mm. trying to play at the spiritual level at the same time True. So what's happening for you on that level at the same time as you're suffering your crisis of faith with Aikido? 
Yeah, that, that's a great question and interesting to reflect about for myself because as I said, it's quite often I kind of put that aside mm -hmm. uh, in, in conversations uh, just because not everyone connects on that level uh, to start off. So for me, when I, it was it was very much kind of going foot to foot, the, the questioning of martial arts and spirituality because my Aikido instructor, well, I now say Aikido instructors kind of demystify the whole thing. Yeah, but, uh, back then it was sensei, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I'll refer to it as my Aikido instructor. So he was also essentially my spiritual guru and my mentor. Yeah. And he was playing that part. It was like very clear, like it was defined, like he's a spiritual teacher. Uh, that kind of came for him with being an Aikido instructor. They were not separate things. And when I started to question the martial aspect, and started to see flaws in some of the arguments that he would tell. Uh, that made me curious. And I started asking, like, what about the spiritual stuff? Like, if he is wrong here and there, and he wasn't right at these aspects, like even like, you know, MMA people being meatheads, to put it bluntly, uh, then maybe some of his spiritual stuff is flawed as well. And that was my lifestyle. That was like my whole life. I was deep into meditation and I read tons of spiritual books and uh, went to whole the the whole India trip and did yoga. Like 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 not everyone knows or realizes, but I was like really like deep into that stuff. And uh, I was all about going with the flow, being one with the universe, and and looking into enlightenment. Asking myself who I who I who I who am I? Like yeah, I, if I would meet super spiritual people, like I could go like page to page page with them. I could have conversations, no problem. And I did that for a while. Like I went like meeting spiritual teachers. So uh, long story short, when I started questioning the martial aspect, that that naturally made me question the spiritual one. And when I started to see flaws in that as well, uh, I realized I was kind of ignoring some stuff, like not admitting. I had my doubts as well, like with Aikido not being extremely effective. I, ha I had some doubts about it. And then, but I, I guess I also had those spiritual doubts, but I wasn't admitting to both. And now suddenly I'm like, wait, maybe I should look back. Maybe that wasn't as great. Maybe I kind of put the blame on myself because that was actually part of the dynamics and the relationship with the like, you know, instructor. And it was very much like, I'm, it's always your fault. You know, it's yeah. uh, not only with me. <laughs> it's like, it's always any, anyone, everybody else's fault. And I was like, what if it's his fault? <laughs> and that was a big mind blowing moment for me. And, uh, to go a little bit into detail, I would have him come over to teach a big seminar in my dojo once a year. And when I started to question some things, and actually the big part where we clashed was he forbade me from uh, going to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament mm. because my, my BJJ friend, he wanted, because before he left the country, he wanted to have the celebration of me going to a BJJ tournament, him being my coach. And I was really hyped for it. And then when I was excitingly told that to my instructor, my instructor said, uh, essentially, he said, uh, he's concerned that that's going to go lead me on a bad path. And uh, he didn't forbid me, but he said, if I will decide to do that, we will stop having our relationship as a student teacher. And essentially, he made me, gave me the, the notion that I will not be part of this community anymore. And that was like a no-go for me at the time. That was like my yeah. whole life. And uh, But then I spoke with my friend, and my friend was questioning that suggestion from my instructor and he was like well are you sure that's like he wasn't judging it which i appreciate as well but he was like is that really cool to do are you sure this is okay and i i couldn't say yes uh, i couldn't say like that that's okay i couldn't prove it so it made me conflicted 
I started questioning. I started then. I started questioning my instructor even more, and he came to my country. Coming back to the story where he's visiting me, and uh, I was more in the mood of if I wasn't agreeing with something, usually you agree and you don't question. But during that visit of his, if he would say something and I'd be like, I don't really think that's true. And for him, he could not take it. Like <laughs> he was very frustrated when people would not agree with him, and and in a bunch of these arguments actually was right. And he didn't know how to take that. And seeing it, like how frustrated he was and, and how he wasn't able to take the criticism, which for me, feedback was important and became increasingly important. That made me question his spiritual approach. And the the hard part to it all was because the spirituality aspect for me and the practice and how I related to the world and, and making decisions and relationships, pretty much everything was based on his teachings. Mm-hmm. And when I started questioning him, there were there was no separation between him and the teachings for me it was one single thing yeah. and and a lot of people kind of criticized me for throwing out the baby with the bath water with aikido and i admit i did that and i think that's hard not to do at the beginning it's just you want to kind of get rid of everything mm-hmm. i started more or less doing that with spirituality i started to feel like well wow there's so much bad stuff and so much i so much so such a lack of critical thinking in so many aspects here and I was like, I have nothing. And it was kind of a spiritual crisis and identity crisis as well, because I was like, suddenly the whole understanding of how the world works and essentially who I am, I can't trust it anymore. And it took me quite a while to kind of look through that bit by bit, to question each aspect and to start separating the, the instructor versus the teachings. And to really like dig into the teaching sense to be like, well, actually, you know, that actually is not that bad. That, that idea is, a, is pretty fine. I can take that. But I would say, I'm honestly, I'm pretty much still in that process of sometimes looking at the old stuff I used to believe completely and then uh, seeing like, oh, maybe there's some good in it. So, so yeah. I have this concept of an off-the-shelf worldview versus a bespoke worldview. Mm. Can you tell me more? So... Um, so Aikido is like an off the shelf worldview on for specific things. It's a paradigm, right? So you, you get to, you go in and you, you talk to your teacher and he tells you what to think, right? Mm. It's like, Mm. whether it fits you or not, or whatever, it's like, this is it. Like, it doesn't all that, you know, you just have to wear the suit. Right. That's it. You've talked about this in your video. All the, all the, in your videos, all the, all the, all the spiritual guys who talk like this, like, so. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like you can tell that that person has this, you can kind of like start to pick up on a few signals and basically fill in someone's entire worldview. Right. Mm, Yeah. Um, And then what I've noticed a lot of times is when someone's attachment to a worldview breaks, what they'll tend to do is go grab another off the shelf worldview. Mm, So for instance, um, I, have a friend, I had a friend who was really, really intense raw vegan, right? Super, mm-hmm. super attached to raw veganism. Just got sicker and sicker and sicker, right? He's <laughs> a 30-day water fast. He's drinking his own urine, right? And then um, and then he, you know, he's at a friend's house. Someone has some salmon. He eats some salmon. Feels completely different. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so. I reached out to him. We talk, and he's like, oh, "I'm I'm going to go carnivore." <laughs> <laughs> so you're 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 just shuttling between these extremes. Right. Um, and w- what's hard is to look at the world and say, "How do I build 
an apparatus of sense making that mm-hmm. actually allows me to to navigate through these shoals without just without just sort of placing the authority in the tribe that I'm attached to. So I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, I'm a vegan, I'm a carnivore, I'm a yeah. crossfitter, I'm a aikidoka. Those are all tribes that you can kind of offload all of your sense making onto. Right. Yeah. And what's hard is then to say like, okay, I'm going to actually have to take responsibility for this myself. Mm. Yeah. So I'm curious as you went through, like I'm imagining as you're walking away from Aikido, you're losing a lot of your community, a lot of your friendships, a lot of like your whole, like the, the world schema that you're operating within. You're not even realizing how many things are just getting basically binned and you don't have anything to replace them with. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what is it that you grabbed onto? Like, Mm. where did you go to stabilize yourself when that, that was happening for you? So it's a really good question and interesting also to reflect about, you know, kind of what happened naturally to me. And uh, I'm kind of happy to uh, recognize and I'm pretty certain that that was the case that I didn't, I, I, I 100% with you. I think that that's what I noticed as well. Usually people switch from one camp to another camp. I guess I get, became a little bit of a camp BJJ, but I also think more about for martial arts, but for the spiritual and kind of my, my, my relationship with the world, I, that, that was, that was what made it super difficult for me because I wasn't willing to go to any camp. I, 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 I've started to cherish critical thinking very much and to cherry pick, like, or like be very picky about what I choose to believe now that I realized, you know, so much I believed in blindly was not true. So I'm like, I'm going to be super careful about choosing what I choose to believe to believe in. And so I didn't jump on anything. Like I didn't go to any new school, any new trend or nothing. And I think I made my life very difficult because of it, because I had no like certain ground and, and there's. Like you mentioned, you, you checked my my second channel, which right now is dormant. But I think that was the stage where actually I came back from the from the states from training center, and I kind of decided to take a year off because I, I realized I was going with the flow, kind of training martial arts, meeting people. But my in my mind, I didn't have a clear definition of okay, so who am I? What's the what's this world? What's my purpose? And I spent a lot a lot of time just reflecting thinking, asking myself questions, trying to trying to find some answers in books, but I didn't jump onto any single book. Like in the spiritual uh, lifestyle that I had, my instructor was obviously a big go-to, but even like some gurus, I would be like, oh, this guru says this and this, and this is what I believe as well. And this guru says this and this. I was very like clear about where I take my information from. And now I'm like, uh, I see flaws everywhere. Like everyone yeah, yeah. is is just not making sense to some degree. So I start. I had to kind of like come to my own conclusions, which took a while. And as as I said, I'm I'm still working on it. But the other thing I can add, though, I did do find. I did find some safety nets because I think I probably would have went you know nuts if I wouldn't. And uh, it was actually related to a story which was still while I was in Aikido instructor, but kind of nearing towards my last stages of quitting it and uh, i was going on this hike with a friend of, who's a f- photographer aspired photographer and i asked him like uh, what people do you look up to like like mm-hmm. who's 
lose your model that that kind of you're you're looking after and he was like oh there's so many and he started naming them and telling stories about them and then i didn't see it coming because normally it's natural somebody asks you the same question back that was not my intention but he does he's like what about you in, in aikido where are you looking up to and i was like there's no one like i there's there's people i respect do you want to jump in or no 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 no, no. sorry okay I mean, I imagine when you were spiritual, that 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 was like one person, right? That was your guru. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And and even then, I I was at that moment where I before beforehand, I was like, oh my god, I want to be like him. But the, I was ready in a stage where I was questioning him, so he wasn't anymore like yeah. that person who I wanted to be like. Sure. But then I think I realized it more consciously, like, okay, I'm not really super inspired by this person anymore. Like, I'm not like he's not pushing me to become better anymore because I'm seeing so many flaws. But then in the Aikido world, there's people I respect. And initially I was like, oh, Kristen see or, or some other instructors like, wow. And I was like, yeah, I mean, they're better than me technically, but like, I'm not like, wow, they have something that I really want. And before in earlier stages of my life, that was a big part of my life. I was like, I was looking for role models and I was hanging on to like mm -hmm. finding people who would inspire me. And suddenly I realized and say it out loud, I don't have any such person. That was such a big kind of deal breaker for me because it was so important to me generally. And I didn't even realize I don't have that person. I was like, wow, something is wrong. Something is missing. Yeah. And then uh, when I quit Aikido entirely, I think that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to Matt Thornton yeah. because we had a conversation, our very first conversation on a recorded podcast. And I was so impressed with so many things he said because there was so much authenticity and, and, and kind of directness and a lot of things which I wanted. I was like, wow, he has what I want. And and I didn't have that feeling for a while. And so when he offered me to come to the States to train to do the MMA camp, I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. And I wanted to spend as much time with him as I can because I wanted to kind of uh, rub some of that, whatever he is to rub yeah. off a little bit on on me. And I think I did. I take some, you know, some of his perspectives philosophies i wasn't as attached anymore and i didn't kind of worship him but but i did see like okay i want i want these aspects i want them to rub off some of his students top students uh, i was living at the house uh, renting a room at one of his top students like he had also a bunch of qualities where i was like damn i want to have that and so yeah. i would try to hang out with him as much as i can and then there was another person after that who was uh john kavanaugh mm -hmm. uh, i mean you know for everyone, the easiest way is Conor McGregor's coach. Conor McGregor's coach, right? He he hates <laughs> that people put him in that box. So I really try not to do that. But that's you know this, the most simple way to, to put it on. So so I met him and had a chance to spend a few months uh, to hang out with him for a few months. And he also had a lot of qualities. I was like, man, I want to have that. And I think that's what I did for a while. I just was hanging out with people and trying to see how they relate to the world. And and also too, yeah, you know, eventually saw them as human beings. I started to see their limitations, but that didn't make me lose my respect for them because I, I realized, wow, we can be super amazing and crappy at other things. And that's okay. The problem with my spiritual teacher was that he was trying to sell himself as the perfect package. Like yeah. that was not admitted like that he has flaws, like some, somewhere like lip service. Yes. But generally you're led to believe like he's perfect. And then when you realize he's not, you're like in a crisis. But the, that case wasn't here. Yeah, I, I'm definitely curious how you found Matt, right? So I, 
the first MMA gym in the town that I live in, Bellingham, was an SVG affiliate. Oh, nice. Right. So I started, so I trained MMA in a, in a army ranger shed between 15 to 16, basically. Mm-hmm. And right. then, um, then he shut it down cause he got another job or something. Mm-hmm. And so then I just like would meet with friends and ask them to like spar with me. And so I kept the skills going through like backyard sparring. Um, mm-hmm. and then I started a, a boxing club at my community college and then when i went to to university there was a jujitsu club so i'd go in and train there and like little bits here and there mm. but then finally there was a gym right and so i went in there and uh a cody houston was was uh was one of matt's students and so that was mm. that was what i was learning from was the sbg system and then matt came and taught a seminar mm. and matt and i had a conversation after that seminar where i was talking to him about my experience with parkour and some of the ideas that he, i was that he had talked about how they reflected the ideas I was having around parkour. Mm. Um, and then I read a bunch of his blogs and then I didn't talk to Matt for like 10 years, mm. right. but he remained like this huge influence in the way that I was thinking about mm. stuff. And also just like an aspirational target because I share with Matt this kind of curiosity about broader intellectual trends, not mm. just the martial arts themselves or parkour, which is my primary sport. Um, right. you know, I mix them up. Uh, sure. So, so that's been, that, that, that's been interesting. So how did you from Lithuania end up in Portland yeah. for your deep dive into martial arts and specifically with someone like Matt, who isn't just a jujitsu coach, he's friends with Sam Harris and Peter Bogosian. And, yeah. you know, you do this whole interview with him about, your history, his history of spiritual stuff. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of an yeah. interesting story. I'm curious for for more about how that came to pass. Sure. So I actually can kind of recount the direct path uh, that led me to it. And I believe there's a person named Nathaniel Chalkin. Uh, I don't know if you ever bumped into him. Like he 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 he's he has a Aikido background. Uh, then went through the SBG path, and now he does also actually. Kind of like he adds the spiritual aspect into like business and corporations, and uh, he contacted me when I released the Akira versus MA video. He told me like, "Oh, I went through a similar path." He actually knew and was familiar with my uh, Akira instructor, and so we started connecting with him. And I think he was because he was part of SBG uh, for a while. He told me like, "Oh, there's Matt Thornton. He went for a similar journey, and uh, the whole G." Jeet Kune Do disillusionment yeah. and the, the whole and he he was very Nathaniel was very fond of the uh the whole epistemology and uh, the aliveness terminology and the philosophy that Matt introduced so so he was looking at it at a deeper level as well and I I, I was resonating with it I was like wow this is this sounds like great stuff and I was so intrigued by it that eventually I thought yeah I'd love to talk to Matt directly like to ask him some questions at the time, I still felt like I'm not at that level where I could reach, reach him. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what? And that, that was kind of part of my character sometimes. Just take those risks and and risk feeling stupid, but try it and <laughs> see what happens. And I wrote him a message. Actually, I never asked him, like, what specifically happened? I, 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 it would be fun to ask him sometime. Maybe he doesn't remember. But I write him a message saying, hi, I'm this guy. And I made this video. I'm questioning martial arts. And I really love to get you to talk to me on record 
And I think he either saw the message. I don't know if that was the time when you could see that he saw, but one way or another, he didn't respond for like a couple of days. And uh, I'm starting to have thoughts in my mind, like, ah, man, I wonder if he thinks I suck or something. But but I was very honestly considering maybe there's something that he doesn't like about what I do. And I'd love to know that. Like, I, like maybe there's something I don't understand. I don't realize and I'm, I'm on a bad path based on him, whatever. And I wrote him a couple of days later, a message, like a very sincere message saying, like, I understand if you don't want to be on the podcast. But uh, I'm just really curious, maybe the reason you didn't write me back, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe there's something you don't like about my approach or something. And I asked him that question. And the next thing he writes me back, he's like, okay, let's have the conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I don't even know if, you know, that's the second message. That's the one which prompted. I never actually asked him. But that's where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get to talk to Matt. So we have the conversation. uh, And uh, already uh, from the get-go, I... Especially in the past, I was kind of very much focused on trying to make feel everyone pleasant and 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 feel nice and well. Uh, but Nat was very direct. He was like, he wasn't going into chit chats like small small talk. Uh, he was like pretty much like, okay, you know, let's do this. Dot like not like, hey, how are you? You know, how's your day? And I loved it. I was like, I want to have that. And so we're having this conversation and he's answering the questions brilliantly. Like, like for a long time, I, I used to love to say, and maybe till today, it's like probably was the best conversation I had ever because everything he said, he went through that path that I went through, but through Jeet Kune Do and years ago, and he was so articulate about explaining what's what. And I was just like, everything he said, I was like, this is gold. This is exactly what I need. And it brought so much clarity to me. And then the final point was uh, I was making a bunch of these interviews with a bunch of people and uh, I was asking them at the end, so what's your suggestion? Like, what should I do with my Aikido? How should I like make my Aikido work essentially? Like and, uh, a lot of, you know, that's, that's the first stage I think yeah. every yeah. person goes through, like, how do I make this work? And everybody would be like, oh, you should add some jujitsu, add some boxing. Like they, they'd give me tips like that. And Matt was like, I think you should quit Aikido. And I was like, <laughs> what? Like, if okay. Jiu-jitsu. Sorry. If Aikido worked, it'd be jujitsu. Right, exactly. And that's kind of the point he made. It's like, well, eventually you're probably going to get to this point where you're going to realize you can't like make it work as well. And why not just go? Life is short. He said it more or less in the same words. And life is short. You have a limited amount of time. The more time you waste, the more time you'll regret. So I, in, if I was you, I was like, I'd pretty much like quit. And I was like, he was telling me that as a professional Aikido sensei, that was my livelihood, yeah. you know, running the dojo. But he said it like, I'd quit it and, and move on. I was like, this is terrifying, but I love it. And I think that was one of the big moments where I started to consider that. I was like, maybe I should really do it. And soon enough, I think maybe a couple of months later or something like that, I decided in a single day, I'm going to close the dojo. And I did. And funny enough, I didn't have plan B. I mean, I had my YouTube channel was growing. So I felt like, okay, if I invest all the time, I invest my dojo into YouTube channel, I should be able to make a living. So that was there, but I didn't have a a knowing of, okay, that's the next, this is the next thing I'm going to do. So I left myself some space and I was thinking, what would I like to do? And then uh, I think it was either Matt himself or John Kavanaugh who shared a post about Wim to Warrior, uh, the program where you commit six months to MMA training every day and then have a fight at the end. And I actually had on my bucket list, I want to have an MMA fight in a cage. And I was already frustrated that I'm already like 30 something or maybe I was, I was 28. 
but or 29 but then i felt like okay i wasted so much time and it's going to take forever until i'll develop skills to get into the cage i want to do it but you know it's i'm not lucky in that regard and here it's there's a six months program i commit to it i do it i have a fight dream come true and then john is from can uh, from sorry from ireland and ireland is pretty close but then i wanted to ask matt's opinion i was like well matt because john is part of sbg I'm thinking about doing the Winter Warrior in Ireland. Do you think that's a good idea? And maybe you could help me like connect to John or something like that. And that was like, just why go to Ireland? Just come to the States. Like, like <laughs> we have the same program. I'm like, what? Really? Like, like he's like, yeah, like we'll help you find you know a spot to live and everything. And I was like, my blood, my mind was blown away. I was like, hell yes, I'm going to do this. It was a crazy decision. I didn't know how I'm going to pull it off, but I went for it, moved to Portland, got to start to have some conversations with Matt. Then initially I was kind of very much keeping my distance. Oh my God, <laughs> this is Matt Thornton. But then I started to feel like we're actually having a really great report, even like our, our age was, there's was, there was an age difference. But uh, that's when I learned that he actually went through the spiritual questioning path as well. Like mm -hmm. we were connecting not only on the martial arts uh, kind of subject, but also the spiritual one. And whenever we would meet for like a, a filming so we would film a video for an hour and then we would continue talking for like another like five hours or something i realized like man okay we have a lot to talk about so so yeah that's i think how we ended up like really getting to know more of matt and and kind of getting closer to him and and learning a lot from him which i feel very lucky that i did yeah that's wonderful um so you see so your uh you do the that and you you have an mma fight right at the end of yeah of the uh, of the program with Matt, and then you yeah. went and trained for three months with John's pro team in Dublin. Yes, uh, again, one of those decisions where I'm like, or or events where I'm looking back, knowing now more that I do, I'm like, that's crazy. You know, <laughs> I was I was in an O and one amateur MMA fighter with six months experience, and then I'm training with these pro guys. Uh, but at the at the time, uh, I I met John Cavanaugh in one of Matt's uh, camps, and uh, long story short, uh, I was setting up a conversation to film for for between Matt and John, and then I had one of those moments where I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna ask John a question. I'm I'm gonna take a risk and. And I asked him about his YouTube channel. We started talking, and he said, "Well, I'm actually I'm actually looking for some help with my YouTube channel." So, so I was like, you know, I could fly over and come to Dublin and you know film some videos for you or something. And he was like, you know what? Send me some ideas. Maybe we'll make it happen. And eventually, that became a thing. He said that I can come for a couple of weeks, film him, see how it goes. It turned out good. Then we decided to to extend it to a few months. And uh, and part of the deal was uh, that I could get to train with him teaching the pro MMA uh, team. Obviously, I was the worst guy in the gym and the group. I mean, there were a couple of amateurs with whom I could kind of do something. But other than that, I was just getting my... Everyone was nice. You know, everyone was taking care of me. But I was the underdog, like, like bad all the time for two or three months. Uh, at, at the same time, though, I got a chance to get to know John a bit more. And he's incredible the way his mind works and... You know, it was, I was, it was so great to have some conversations with him and, and, and get to know his thinking more and to learn from him. 
But all in all, it was a very intense experience because of training with the pro MMA team. But then also I would get to meet the MMA fighters, get in conversations with them, learn more about MMA, about their perspectives. So it was a very fulfilling and enriching experience. But after that, I actually burned out. Like, uh, because I was already burned out. I didn't realize it at, at then, but I was burned out from the six months training because I was just training too much, more than I should. Then I had the fight. And then I went to this camp immediately and I was training every day with pro fighters. Their pace was way faster than I was ready. I was always just surviving. And then I was just like, I need a break. And that's when, when I took a year break from martial arts for the first time in my life since I started martial arts. But yeah, that, that was kind of the, the thing. So when you, you took that break, that was that when you created your secondary channel and you're focused on you know, yeah. critical thinking and sort of self-development? Yeah, and it's it's kind of an interesting phase I had as well when I look back at it because I, I think I was very much kind of searching for purpose and searching for answers uh, at the moment I at that moment I questioned martial arts as my kind of purpose and, and that whole narrative of life's purpose your yeah. mission was very big and important for me and I felt uh, the compulsion to find a purpose and I was like well martial arts they're not deep enough that's I'm not thinking that anymore but that's what occurred to me then during my burnout, I was like, I, I'm capable of more. I should go into deeper subjects. And I didn't have a plan. I had some crazy ideas that I wanted to try out, kind of like, oh, I want to try this. I want to try this. And and I just decided to go for it. Uh, now I realize, I mean, there's a place and time for kind of going with things and trying things out. But I think it's much smarter to first understand like, okay, this is what I want to do. There, This makes sense. I'm going to do that. And this is my plan, more or less. But then I was more like, I'm just going to go and figure things out as I go. And and I did a lot of explorations and experiments like blogging and eventually turned to like trying to promote critical thinking. I was kind of trying to hang on and to, to anything that would make sense for me. But eventually the conclusion was I just started, I, I didn't appreciate my martial arts journey channel so much uh during that phase because i was like oh yeah it's, it's just martial arts and i'm just making this content but during the year's break i started to realize wow actually this is special i had like a hundred thousand subscribers back then and and then i felt like I, it took me a while to realize actually you know what that's doesn't especially after i started when i started the second channel and it was really difficult to make the views to find the subscribers i was like wow actually i have a successful channel and i'm lucky that people are interested in my journey and they're interested in my videos and maybe, and I started to realize people are, in, some people are inspired by it. And that's what mattered to me so much and being like having a positive impact on others. And I started to see my first channel in a different view and bit by bit, I came back to it and started to cherish and appreciate what I had already built versus uh, trying to you know invent the deal the wheel out of nowhere something like that yeah um that's interesting because that's kind of what i first wanted to start talking to this is around 2020 right yeah yeah, yeah 2020. i burn out that was my year of burnout i uh okay. i worked on the embodiment conference and it was a terrible experience and i got absolutely destroyed by it while my business also got shredded oh. by covid um, oh no <laughs> But I was interested because basically within my own work, what I've been trying to, I guess what I've really been oriented to for a long time is the question of 
how do we get the why right for a, for a practice, right? It's like, mm. you know that if you exercise, it's good for you. Okay. People, and when people, when people lose their sense of where they're going with their practice, they often stop practicing. Mm. So I started practicing parkour 17 years ago. And one thing that was very interesting to me was that most people who started practicing parkour in the early days, like in 17 years ago in, in, in the States, there was like a hundred people doing parkour at all. Right. Mm. Um, the early adopters of parkour all talked about how it was life-changing. It gave their life meaning. It changed their character. It made them into mm. a person that they wanted to become. And there was this sense that it was this deeply transformative practice. Mm. But then I also noticed that people would talk about transformations that they don't weren't actually exhibiting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then at the same time, I was training mixed martial arts, particularly jujiteros would talk a lot about the sense that like they came back to it because it was life-changing. I knew lots of yogis. They talk about that. Um, lots of surfers. And I was like, everyone, everyone has this idea that that there's something bigger than just being good at the thing mm. that that is the actual reason that we're doing these things mm. um so then the question is well if that's what we're aimed at are the arts that we're practicing actually the best way to deliver that and mm -hmm. how would you practice if that was your your real aim um, and so I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I went through a period where I was very like competitive focused in parkour and I was developing the first parkour competitions in the States or some of the first parkour mm. competitions. Um, and I was competing in them. I was running the competition and competing. It was brutal. Um, and then I burned out on that, had a bunch of injuries. Mm. So I've been really doing this. And so I've, I've thought about the, the, specifically the martial arts is a really interesting space because there's this tension between what I think of as the jitsu, the body of techniques of parkour and the do, which is the way of life that's embedded. Mm. And it seems to me that in martial arts in particular, you see that the people who are good at the jitsu tend not to focus deeply on the do. And the people who mm. focus on the do tend not to mm. tend to actually be full of shit, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but it seems like there's there is actually a place that where though there needs to be a reunification. And now I'm I'm working a lot with uh John Verveke from the University of Toronto, who mm. studies wisdom and mm. it's the idea of the reunification of philosophy and the gymnasia that we can't grow as human beings without rooting it in the body. Mm. But that if we only view our if we only view our transformations as at that local level, we won't get it. And so if you look at something like, like Matt says, jujitsu has far more potential to change, transform you as a person than Aikido does because it's real opponent processing and it's real feedback. Yeah. I, I agree with that completely. But at the mm -hmm. same time, if you look at the person, the, the, the character that it's exhibited by the best combat sports athletes, it's not aspirational. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you make a list of, the greatest UFC fighters of all time. Mm. Uh, you have to put some pretty much sociopaths right up. There, <laughs> right. I would argue that John Jones is the greatest UFC fighter of all time and arguably the worst human being that we yeah. know of in right. combat sports. Yeah. So, and th this is an argument that 
uh, that my friend John makes. He says, if we're going to teach people to be really good at violence, we mm. have to teach them to be wise. Mm. Yeah. Right. And I think that Aikido fails to teach people to be good at violence and fails to teach them to be wise because it lies to them about being good at violence. Right. True. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu teaches people to be good at violence. And it creates an implicit potential for greater wisdom. And you see it in lots of people within the Jiu-Jitsu community. Yeah. But it doesn't, it, it's not reliable as a wisdom cultivation tool. And there's there's a whole incentive structure problem with com combat sports where you get rewarded for developing a persona that makes you a bad human being. <laughs> but that's kind of what was really specifically interesting to me in having this conversation with you. It's taken us an hour and a half to get there. Yeah. But um, but I wanted to you to lay out your journey because you have all of these intersecting sort of pieces of spirituality is out there, but a lot of it's full of shit. It is, yeah. The martial arts are out there, but we have this 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 break between the stuff that thinks deeply about how to be a better human being and bullshits mm -hmm. you about it, and think, uh, and the people who think deeply about how to tear apart your joints, um, and gets lots of really cool stuff as a byproduct of it, but doesn't think deeply about how to how to catalyze something out of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious where you are with your journey and how you're yeah. thinking about those things because it seems to me that. Sorry, um, yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> let me finish with this. Yeah, yeah, I get the sense that your 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 desire in life is not to be an MMA champion. You're right? correct. Yes, <laughs> you're you're looking for something else through exposing yourself to taking fights. Yes, I understand. What is your sense for where the community needs to go and how we start to bring the do and the jitsu back together? Mm. Great question, big one. <laughs> Let's look at it. Um, a quick note, yeah. Before I go uh, on a run, uh, I mean, on exploring the subject uh, in regards to top level athletes, uh, combat sport athletes, I thought about that as well. I was like, that was one of the questions because I was kind of attached to combat sports as a tool of developing humility, and and as you said, like it does. But then you'll have these guys who are like dickheads and they're top at the top, which I you kind of suppose like, oh, it should be the opposite if it's really such a tool of purifying the character and the top guys should be the purest of them all. And it's not the case. Uh, I, I don't remember who I spoke this about, to, but, but somebody I think brought this idea that it's actually easier in combat sports to uh, turn bad, per se, mm -hmm. when you're at the top level, when you're yeah. the best. Because... I think one of the inherent uh, aspects of combat sports, which is great, is that you get that humility by constantly getting defeated. Yeah. You know, there's no way around it. You have to tap a thousand, thousands of times. But then if you're superior and you're usually, especially like from early on, you're actually dominating uh, the majority of your peers and and other people and you're constantly catching up to the better guys. You defeat the better guys and then you defeat everyone. It's like, it's a little bit like that Aikido thing we spoke about before, where the sensei, it's hard to be uh, humble because nobody questions you. And I think there, there's maybe there's a bit of a parallel between the two, but also, but, but still, there are top level athletes who are also good people. But, but I think that that may be one of the challenges. It's, it's harder to be 
uh, humble there because that aspect is not there anymore. But that's just a kind of a philosophical idea that I thought about as well. Uh, the bigger question that you posed, that, which I think is a great one, I actually did explore that even when I was still running my dojo the couple last years. And that was that was that was quite a fascinating exploration, especially when I look at it, look back at it right now. Because again, back then I took so many things for granted, and now as I get older, and especially I live more of a my lifestyle is still you know YouTube being a YouTube content creator is still a weird lifestyle. It's not the regular norm, but I get to meet quote unquote regular people, live a more regular lifestyle, and I start to relate to what's normal because beforehand I had no compass. I was like, I was spending time with spiritual people and I was like, you know, freaky things seem normal to me. But now I'm like, I understand what's what's expected, what's normal. And uh, and now I look back at the last couple of years of my Aikido Dojo and I think that there was some fascinating stuff, even almost stuff that I almost to some degree miss uh, because a lot of Aikido I don't miss. But so what happened specifically I got frustrated that Aikido is not, does not deliver on the promise. The promise is you're going to become an awesome human being. And then the opposite is more often than, than not. And this, the case was with my instructor. Uh, that was a big shock to me. And, uh, but then I started questioning, okay, so how can I deliver the promise of Aikido through, uh, through to my people? Like, uh, and also what shocked me as well was uh, that my first line of black belts i i there's a handful of black belts that i kind of led into being black belts it's not that difficult in aikido it takes four years <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, i had a handful of black belts the first generation of my black belts two guys young guys were fine but two adult men they i think they hate me and and I, they consider me their worst enemy right now and they you know they talk behind my hat back I mean, they didn't come across, didn't come through as great people. And I started to see that at the last stages of my career as well. And and I was like, damn, I was so upset that these are black belts. They're supposed to be at least pretty good at representing what I believe to be a great Aikidoka on and off the mat. And they're dickheads to, to some degree. I mean, they, I think they became better, but I didn't, I, I felt like I failed as an instructor because I didn't test proof them to be great human beings when they reach the level of black belt. And I was like, how do I make this happen? That was a big question for me and a big frustration and a big aspiration. Like, how do I make it happen that next time I have black belts and I give a black belt to someone in Aikido, that they would for sure be pretty good at everything that Aikido is supposed to be on and off the mat. And what I started to rely on was pressure testing, uh, a lot of getting out of your comfort zone, uh, that's where I found that I I was also looking at my experience, and that's one of the go-tos for me. It's like, okay, I, I think I'm a pretty good human being, like like objectively speaking, like like I <laughs> doesn't sound very humble when I say that I'm humble, but I think objectively looking like I'm not a, I don't think I'm a dickhead. Usually people tell me I'm not a dickhead. And I was like, okay, so what happened to me? And I, and I was a dickhead at some points in my life for certain reasons, and then that got pushed out of me especially through spirituality and i was like okay so what elements did help me leave my dickheadedness or made me better made me more humble and a lot of it for me came to also looking as an example at what bjj was effective at in combat sports 
the realizing of your limitations constantly, uh, going out of your comfort zone, becoming comfortable at being uncomfortable. Uh, and uh, I was looking for exercises, like how do I push and put my students into those situations where they would succeed, but they would also fail enough. And so, for example, I started taking ukemi, the art of soft, <laughs> safely falling and, and rolling. Uh, I started developing like levels, like, like, okay, this is level one and level two, like this, how do I make it even harder and harder so that I would be sure that my students would never reach a level where they're like, okay, I'm done. I learned what I need to learn. I'm like, no, look at this exercise. Can you do this exercise? It's like, haha, no, you can't. Okay, let's work on it. You're great at this, but let's work on this one. And so, yeah, I did a lot of stuff like that. And interesting enough, I think I had pretty good results. Maybe part of that was because I tried to be a decent human being very hard, especially after falling out with my instructor, realizing that there was a lot of kind of um, dissonance between, you know, what he's supposed to be and what he was. I was like, I need to be dead certain I'm what I think I am. So kind of a quick side story, what I did, because I realized my instructor was not taking in feedback. Uh, I realized, and I realized I was copying him and I was not really creating space for feedback myself. So the next thing I did, I sat down my main students. I was like, you know what? Tell me everything you don't like about me, the way I run my dojo. And they had a lot to say. (laughs) I think that was not the best decision I ever made. Uh, It was kind of an intense experience for me for two hours to listen about how terrible I am at this and that and that. Apparently, you know, again, they had a lot to say. But, you know, I did that to kind of make sure I would be open to feedback. And then the next generation, whenever they came in, that was the norm. That was not an unusual thing anymore. I was always open to feedback. I would encourage them to question me. I would encourage them to question my teachings. Uh, and and the same, you know, was true for, for both sides of relationship. If I was asking something of them, they had the right to ask something of me, the same for me and vice versa. So I could question them. And if I would push them, they could push me. And I think either the right people came to some degree because people who were not into, you know, receiving feedback just wouldn't come. But I also think they would also see me doing that. And maybe they took some of that themselves, but also through those exercises, I, I do believe they became better at those things. And we kind of grew as a community in those aspects. And the last batch of black belts that I give give black belts to uh not perfect people you know not but i mean it's the first black belt level but uh, i'm super happy about them like like they're all cool people and 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 and, but i was also looking for that i I was i wanted to make sure like okay they're going to be black belts i want to make sure that they would go out of their comfort zone not only on the mat but also off the mat that was like part of the deal and we had a lot of conversations what it means to be a black belt so I put a lot of focus into it, explored it, had pretty decent results, by far not perfect. Uh, those whole things I looked at and developed needed a lot of more work. And I was guessing so many things, like you know, I experimented so many things and so many things failed. So it was a bit of a mess too, but some things worked. And now when I look back at it, part of me is inspired. I'm like, damn, it was actually pretty cool. I almost wonder like, where would I went next and what would have happened next but then I closed the dojo and left everyone on their own. Uh, and I burned out from teaching. Uh, even now I'm a bit, uh, I, I look at teaching a bit dreadfully. I'm like, I'm not sure I would want to do teaching regularly. But, but, but a part of me is also curious about like, 
damn, that was special. That was something cool. So I went on a long rant, but uh, yeah, no, was, I, I, I resonate with that a lot. I started uh, the first parkour gym on the West coast in 2009 mm-hmm. I co-founded it. And I was a lead instructor there until 2013. And um, my first group of athletes that I trained up to be coaches were great. Actually mm-hmm. um, the, the second generation that was trained by them without hands on from me ended up not becoming particularly good coaches. Mm-hmm. And then there was all sorts of conflicts within the org, but, um, but I went, had the same experience where I sat down with each of them and said, what are you doing that's working really well? And how do we learn from it as a mm-hmm. class? And how do I work better as a, um, as a manager for you as a teacher? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately we didn't get to like complete that process of like figuring that out for a variety of reasons. And then I've been teaching my retreats and I have an online academy and everything over the last few years, but I haven't had uh, like a, a large community dedicated in one locale since then. And I'm also <laughs> been burned out by entrepreneurial lifestyle and, you know, content creation online. But mm. I think that that's, that's ultimately where we need to go to get these ideas to, to actually have the kind of impacts that they have. It has to land in community. Um, and what you were describing to me is like within our system, we talk about for the development of meaning in life, you need uh, um, movement practices, mindfulness practices, nature connection practices, and community practices. Mm. So we, what you're talking about is like building the culture, building the like what are just like you have to have a, you know, understand the mechanics of how you tear a knee apart if you're going to be a jujitero. If you're going to run a dojo, you have to understand the mechanics of how people interpersonally communicate and how you get good feedback systems that allow um, a, an instructor to get better. Mm. I have my I have an eight year old son who's very athletically talented, and I, I coach him. And sometimes I get my cues wrong, right? Like I give him a cue and it makes his behavior worse, not better. Right. And sometimes I'll be like, Hey, that was my fault. Like I, I overcoached you or I gave you the wrong cue. And like, like he's been like, wait, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, but I think that's so valuable for coaches is to say mm-hmm. we, you know, there's a, it's a mutual optimization process. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then it's going to, it's actually going to take a random walk towards somewhere that's far less optimal than where it started, which I think is what's happened with a lot of the martial arts. Once the coach and the sensei is beyond feedback yeah. um, and the, the, like what makes a good, uh, I don't know. I, I can't remember any of the te- Aikido terminology, but you know, pick a, pick a Aikido throw. Like yeah. what makes it technically correct? How do you know? Right. Mm. So you do it like this, the next guy does it like that. Mm. And you decide that his way is wrong. Right? Mm. There's no information that actually differentiates it. It's just this random walk through space. And what I've noticed with the martial arts is that they tend to become more elaborate mm-hmm. and more it, it's an aesthetic thing. It becomes aesthetic, right? Like you were talking about Ukemi. So Ukemi is big in parkour, right? How do we fall? Mm. How do we receive the ground well? Yeah. So one thing we realized early on was that um, slapping the ground loudly is not a good technique. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right? I, I can see that now that you said it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, 
if you slap concrete loudly, oh, yeah. hurt your head. I, I did I, that a couple of times. I regret it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. terrible. So, so it's like, why do they do that? Hmm. Because it sounds cool on Titania. That's, that's my best theory. Is that the reason hmm. why is because it 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 creates an aesthetic experience, hmm. and that you don't have the real feedback from the environment. We are like when it comes to feedback for falling well, parkour is just miles ahead of sure of the martial arts yeah yeah and that's what you know that's what we discovered um and then you look at like uh martial arts stances you go back to to karate manuals from the 1920s and you look at the stances and then you look at the same stances in karate tournaments now and they're 50 percent deeper 50 percent longer mm. right because it demonstrates a kind of virtuosity. It's just type of virtuosity that actually has almost nothing to do with combat effectiveness. Or it's not, it has very little transfer to combat effectiveness without, um, you know, without going much more deeply to try and get that transfer. Mm. So, sorry, I got a little bit of, of a rant there. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, so I think that the the question that I'm really interested in is this question of transfer, right? Mm -hmm. You can you you can you've had the experience of doing some kind of martial art and ending up somewhere else in your life and being like, I'm a different person. I'm showing up differently because of something that I've learned there. Yeah. So we can say like, okay, does Aikido transfer well to jujitsu? like mm. that's that's a near transfer it's like mm. not really right yeah but you can watch bj penn go take down a bunch of judicas and say okay that's here we're getting really good near transfer mm. so you know you can kind of rank order martial arts based on like which has the best set of near transfers mm. and i think you know it's to me it's unarguable that mma has the best set of near transfers that someone who's good at MMA can go hmm. be good at a lot of other things. Sure. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's combat sambo based on what the Dagestanis are doing. Could be, could be, <laughs> <laughs> but combat sambo is MMA basically. It's just, it's yeah, like it is yeah. here. Um, but then the question is far transfer, right? Mm -hmm. How do you train? Or uh, so sorry. Take jujitsu, right? You can train jujitsu in a way that has better transfer, right? You can train in a very sport-oriented jujitsu now that won't have high transfer to judo or mm. wrestling or MMA. Mm -hmm. If you go back to the basics of the art that have been practiced for a very long time, and you train it intensely, you're gonna you're gonna it, you know. A hip toss is a hip toss, right? A shoulder toss is a shoulder toss. A double leg is a double leg. It's going to transfer. Um, so you so you get that that near transfer. But to me, the community aspects and the mindfulness aspects are where we're starting to be able to address the far transfer. So mm -hmm. I was curious because you, I know you've had an intensive meditation practice, but you've also seeing the holes in that and the, the the narcissism that comes out of spirituality so what is your relationship to these kind of psychological technologies and how they interact with self-development through the martial arts now so for example like meditation mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm. Contemplation, you know, any kind of, what would you use if you're going to try to become a better person through jujitsu or mixed martial arts other than just the practice of the art? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm obviously just guessing because it's, it's, it's a very difficult uh, uh, question, which would need more experience for me. But uh, my, the first things I would probably try to go to is mindfulness. That sounds like a good one. Like uh, I, th- I think there, there's a, there would be a lot of merit between connecting, let's see, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu people and and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu techniques. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is great because it's so tactile. I mean, there's, yeah. there's so much touch and feeling. And uh, like uh, one of my favorite uh, spiritual teachers, I pretty much like him still, uh, Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. You know, all about being here now and i practiced a lot of that just kind of coming back to your body and the body feeling the body makes you come back to the moment calm your mind and i think it's good to have those triggers something that brings you to the body and i think for example jujitsu can do that or even like boxing if you get punched in the face you're not thinking about anything else at yeah. the moment but uh but what's interesting is that we're not putting generally we're not putting focus on it like it happens but there's no usually i i haven't bumped into an instructor a coach percentage the coach who would be like hey now when this is happening you know focus on it more like 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 and i don't know how far you could push until people maybe would be repelled by that and be like whoa i don't want to do touchy <laughs> feely stuff maybe you need the right people who knows but but I think there could be that place where it's like, okay, let's uh, use this jujitsu technique or this jujitsu practice as a place to center yourself and as a place, as, as a means to center yourself, as a means to come back to this moment uh, and and kind of look how can how you can translate that experience to, to elsewhere. Or like even the short bits of meditation in Aikido, I think that was pretty cool. Like that every class before you start, you close your eyes for like two minutes or five minutes and both with yoga and aikido practice i would have people who would come in and initially i would i usually would meditate with them but sometimes i would check if everything is fine and the new people would be like they're like they have no clue what's happening they can't even close their eyes for two minutes and then a few months later they're like yeah this is actually great i love this moment (laughs) and like you know why not do a short meditation between before a jiu-jitsu class i think that that could find its place uh, so I think that those things are there. Uh, but the thing is probably that I missed from spirituality itself is what we spoke about before is that feedback. And uh, at the same time, I think spirituality can have the element of bringing you out of your comfort zone because like sitting, like doing like Vipassana type of retreat where you're sitting in the same position and hating your life and hating everything. And you still have to be there until you just accept that you hate everything, you know, and that passes through and, you become liberated in, in some way that's like one example or or doing all those cold showers and uh, ascetic uh, practices that's all about that part of that is it's i think it's for a different reason in spirituality it's more about you know, self-discovery not attaching yourself to the body yada yada but then that bringing yourself out of your comfort zone and uh, losing your attachments that's inherently part of this those practices and I think that could be also embraced more in uh, martial arts. Like, let's say, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but but maybe there's some merit to it. Like, for example, I love the fact that in martial arts, you can have people who are on your level, 
on the lesser level and greater level than you. And that could be like a conscious practice. Like, okay, now you're going to go with a better person and you know, notice how you are, what do you experience when you lose? Or, you know, how do you deal with the fact that you're going to get destroyed? And, or how do you feel about the fact that you actually you rolled with a person who's supposed to be worse than you, but they tapped you? And usually we don't have these conversations or sometimes we chit chat about those things, but it's not a conscious focus. We're like, okay, let's look at this. So how did you feel? You know, what's the, what tools do you use to accept that or et cetera? I think that could be a conscious practice. And and if we would embrace these elements, maybe, yeah, maybe that would elevate the practice to a different level. But that's my guess. One thing we do with our school is, or with our retreats is we have, um, we have dialogues. So we'll do a series of drills. And then we'll do a five-minute discussion of what we learned from the drills, what yeah. we noticed coming up. We find that's really effective for cultivating that insight generation that we're that we're you know aiming at far transfer with. Mm. So, yeah, I think those are those are really good, you know, places to start from. I think, you know, one of the big questions that's that's curious to me, I think, is is the aspect of how we avoid the narcissism. Um, that comes with spirituality as well. But I think that this mm. this aspect of the clarity of feedback mm-hmm. is uh, is so fundamental, and that's where a lot of the failures are happening, both technically and also in these uh, character aspects. Is mm. like John, my my buddy, he says, don't don't ask yourself if you've transformed. Ask the people around you. Mm. Yeah. He says okay, you, you're doing tai chi, you're doing jujitsu, you're doing parkour. Um, ask your wife if she notices something different about you. Mm. Ask your your parents, ask your your friends. And when they see the transformations, that's when you can sort of be like, ah, this is this is working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have run about a half an hour past the time when uh <laughs> when I scheduled for you. So I don't want to uh use up too much of your time. I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, it was just fun to 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 have this conversation with someone who I think has gone through a lot of the similar sort of mm. uh journey, you know, coming from slightly different backgrounds. Um but yeah, thank you for for joining me, Rokas. Um before you go, what's kind of coming up on your radar? What are you what what's coming up in the future for for the martial arts journey? Oh uh I guess a bunch of things depending on what I focus on. Uh, I mean the, ch- the channel continues as it is with regular content, but I'm planning to do this big event in Australia where I get together for, well, including myself, five martial arts YouTubers, and we're going to compete in self-defense challenges. That's going to ter- get turned into serious. That's the big project. So that's on the radar. But also, too, it's uh, I'm questioning a lot uh, the content that I'm making these days. Like, what direction do I want to take it uh, into? Because in the past... I was more focused on kind of the educational side of it, uh, presenting like the questioning dilemmas or or uh, testing theories and proving common myths, etc. But I think I'm intending to focus more on the journey. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, it's well, I, I happen to be the, the the character of that journey. But so the journeys I take through martial arts and kind of put myself more in situations where it's like okay, this there's a challenge that uh, I have or I can facilitate myself this challenge for this uh, journey, for this uh, crazy decision 
and commit it, do it, document how it goes, share my experiences with the people. It's likely that a lot of content like that is going to come out of the channel. And I'm super excited about it because I think just to add an additional thought that one of the things I miss from being an Aikido instructor or instructor, martial arts instructor, let's say, I'm not sure how much Aikido has to do with it, but the fa- especially because I was tied to philosophy and spirituality, I always felt like I had to be on the edge of my evolution because I knew that I'm going to come on the mat. And I was younger than most many of my students that pushed me even more, but I knew that I'm going to come on the mat and 20, 30 people are going to look at me and they're going to expect uh, and want to receive something from me. And, and I was focusing not only on techniques, so that was the expectation that they'll want some insight, some some lessons, some 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 method that would help them become better. Again, that was our focus. And so I had to push myself constantly and force myself uh, again into uh, situations of discomfort, learn, read, question, so that every time I would come on the mat, I would be like, hey guys, there's something new I discovered. Let's look at this. Or I would clarify something from the past. It pushed me to always be better and now that I don't have a school, I don't have a structure like that, I do push myself to become better, but there's no more kick in the butt where I'm like, oh no, tomorrow I'm going to meet these people and they're going to you know, have that expectation. I almost miss that. And uh, I think that it, it almost would be cool if I could develop that sort of relationship with my audience on YouTube. Well, it's like, okay, I need to be on the edge of, of my evolution for my audience because now I'm going to make this video and I'm going to you know, push myself as far as I can to discover something new. And hopefully that's going to inspire other people to make that the norm. So I would have a construct where I could do that. That would be pretty cool. And potentially I'm going towards that direction. Yeah. Sounds like a great direction. I, I share that sense for me. It's like, how do you create a community that supports becoming the person that you want to become? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the goal. Mm. I love that that project on self defense. I'm I'm excited about seeing what comes out of that. If you guys ever want to do some uh, some parkour uh, martial arts hybrid self defense explorations, yeah. I'd be uh, very interested in being involved in that. And my camera just sure. died. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there the, it is. The timing, I guess. Yeah. One second. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It so, yeah. Was really so. Cool. But definitely recommend everyone check out the uh, the upcoming martial arts stuff and um, martial arts journey is the channel on YouTube. Anything else people should know about you? Oh, I think that that's pretty pretty much enough. <laughs> I don't do actually that much stuff besides that these days. So martial arts journey, yeah, very good. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on the channel, Rokas, and uh, I'll see you on the next one. Cool. Thank you.